Psalm 119. Um, it's quite the undertaking. Um, I, I get tickled. I'm going to throw Donna under the bus. I threw her under the bus last night, too. Um, <laughs> she called me on Sunday night, and she's like, ah, what am I going to do? It's, oh, this is so long. And <laughs> and uh, I said, Donna, it's fine. Just just slow it down. Don't even answer the questions. Just write it. If, I mean, I told her, just write. I just told her to write it out, to write the psalm out. Take it stanza by stanza and write it out. And honestly, going forward, I don't think it would be a bad idea to take a stanza or two a day and just write it and let it just sink in, spend some time with it. I'm talking write it with a pen and paper, not on your computer. <laughs> and, and just write it out. Um, I am, um, I'm going to pray for us before we get started. Great and holy God, we come to you this morning praising your name, thanking you for giving us your word and your word, your incarnate word. Um, we thank you for loving us so much that you wanted to reveal yourself um, to us and that you have chosen scripture to do that. Um, help us to delight in it and to love it and to love you and to know you. And um, may the truth be spoken and received here today. Lord, if I say anything that is untrue, please strike it from our hearts and minds. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was teasing a few minutes ago. Richard came in here and was saying, I don't know, we were just talking. And um, I said, well, if today's, if you get it today, it makes sense to you, then it's all God. No me. But if it's a crapper, it's me. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's the truth. And I'm going to do something. I can't believe I'm going to do this. I'm going to add something that I haven't even written down and that I just, my husband sent to me this morning. And so that may go a little rough during that part. So y'all just kind of bear with me um, while, while I attempt to do that. We'll see if, we'll see if it happens. Um, I want to begin with a short little kind of primer into Psalm 119. Um, in case y'all didn't notice, it is the longest chapter in the Bible at 176 verses. Um, we do not know the author. Um, Spurgeon is quite confident that it was David, but others aren't so sure. It is an acrostic poem. It, is, it uses all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and um, many scholars think there might be um, several reasons for that, one of which it aided in um, memorization. Now, that would be great if we all knew Hebrew and we knew what, what, what these Hebrew um, letters were, but I don't. So if any of y'all know Hebrew, y'all can see me after and we'll, we'll chat and have a little talk. You teach me. Um, I think the main reason that it was written... Um, from this alf to ta, this A to Z format, is um, to teach us the completeness and the depth and the breadth of God's word. Um, it encompasses all that you need. It is sufficient. As we learned last week in Psalm 19, 
the law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right. And the commandment of the Lord is pure. I think I said that wrong. But sure, right, pure, and perfect. Um, Anyway, um, and I'm not one to usually use alliterations when I talk. um, But today I am. And I think maybe it was the fact that there was an, this was an acrostic that kind of nudged me in this direction, just giving us um, something to help us um, better remember the truths of Psalm 119. Now, you and I both know that I could not possibly cover all the truths of 119 in this short little talk that I'm doing. And people have spent literally their entire lives, decades, Um, learning Psalm 119, teaching it, preaching it, volumes of work have been written on it. Um, Luther calls the Psalms in general the little Bible. And what he says about Psalm 19 is that he would not trade his life for one leaf of it. That is how precious he regarded it. And I get it. I found myself engrossed and enthralled, desiring to read it more and more. 176 verses that at first seemed like drudgery were actually a delight. I found myself audibly agreeing and identifying and praising the Lord while reading it, and it was a balm for my soul. Now to the acrostic. Psalm 119 shows us that the psalmist had confidence in God and his word, that he was committed to God and his word, and that he confessed in his own power he was completely inadequate at keeping God's word. Confidence. He had confidence in its veracity, in its promise, and its power to give us wisdom and to increase our love for the law. Now, this is where I'm going to add this little thing, I think. I'm supposed to do it here. Um, This morning on one of the Ligonier podcasts, it was Sinclair Ferguson. And if any of you know me very well, I have a thing for Sinclair Ferguson and his Scottish brogue. And um, I just love him. He's such, if you don't know Sinclair Ferguson, please, please read him. Please listen to him. He is one of the most humble, amazing, knowledgeable. He's just awesome. Anyway. He wants to, he t- I'm going to probably read most of this. He st- told this story, and this is about uh, Psalm 19, and he was talking about um, when um, the psalmist says, I think it's 1999, I have more understanding than my teachers for your testimonies or my meditation. And uh, he told this story about this Irish pastor, and his name is, I'm going to tell you, T.C. Hammond. And he had a club for boys. And you really need to listen to this by Sinclair Ferguson because he really says it much better than I do. Um, But he talks about that he had this club for boys. And they weren't the good boys. They weren't your Sunday school boys. They were the bad boys. And so one day, one of the Anglican um, bishops was coming to the the club to kind of see what was going on. And... um, and so T.C. Hammond says, oh, and they know a hundred texts of Scripture. And the bishop was like, they don't know a hundred. These boys, they're out carousing, and they don't know a hundred texts of Scripture. And so um, the, the um, 
Anglican pastor said, or bishop said, he decided he was going to test the boys. And so he turned to them, assembled in their best and on their best behavior, and he says, boys, can you tell me what Timothy says about the Bible? And silence. Nobody said a word. And, um, and then he turned over to T.C. Ham and he said, see, I told you that these kids didn't know anything about the Bible. They don't know about it. And he said, then one of the boys kind of meekly stood up and he said, sir, Timothy didn't say anything about the scripture, but Paul did. And Paul said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, training in righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished for every good work. Um, you got to love that, right? That the God, he ended up being wiser than the teacher. He knew that Timothy didn't say anything, but it was Paul who said it. So um, just a little, I thought that was a kind of a good little story. So moving on, confidence, confidence in the scripture. Um, this is the foundation on which we as believers live our lives. Um, if you just imagine yourself as the psalmist and you say what the psalmist says and you believe what the psalmist believes, um, you will find yourself um, walking in the felicity of God's ways, um, not the misery that the world would like you to believe that walking in his ways are. But true joy and happiness in keeping his word and walking his path, he states over and over again that he knows the Lord's rules are righteous and that his commandments are sure. They are his joy, his song, his heritage, in verse 45, he states that because he sought the Lord's precept, he walks in a wide place. God's word doesn't restrict us. It frees us. Confidence in the Lord and confidence in Scripture, <clears throat> that Scripture is truly God's word, frees us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Listen to what Paul says to his beloved church at Thessalonica. I'm in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 13. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank constantly for this. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of mere men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you and and work, which is at work in you as believers. And I also want you to listen to Peter. This is in 2 Peter 1. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God our, in our Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. 
and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly love and brotherly love and brotherly affection with love. For if these are qualities are yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying that we have everything contained in this word, everything that we know about God that pertains to life and godliness in Jesus. He says that he's called us, that he's granted us very great and precious promises, that we are going to become partakers of his divine nature. And he tells us to strengthen our faith because of it. We can be confident that scripture is God-breathed, that it is not the word of mere men. We can be confident that scripture is sufficient for us to live the lives God has called us to. The psalmist also had confidence in God's steadfast love. At least seven times he mentions um, steadfast love in Psalm 119. And I think one of the biggest takeaways that I have gotten in our study of the Old Testament is um, the truth of God's steadfast love for his people. In Genesis 15, we see the um, story, we find the story of God's covenant with Abraham. And in the ancient Near East, when people made covenants, they took an animal and they cut it in half. And they made a path down the middle. And both parties that were making the covenant had to walk between those two sides of the animals. And they were saying that if they broke the covenant, that the bond that they had just made, may they, may this happen to them. May they be cut in half. May they cease to exist. But when God and Abraham made this covenant, only God passed through the halves. Hang on, I gotta... Um, and that God would be the one to keep the covenant. And that God was bound by his very existence to keep the covenant for himself and for Abraham and his descendants. It wasn't Abraham's obedience that made the covenant binding. It was God. God called... Um, Abraham, excuse me, Augustine, I've got all these A's. Augustine called God the hound of heaven, the hound of heaven. I think you can see why. It is God's steadfast love for his people. I want to tell you a little story about Augustine. In, a, in about 413, Augustine started writing um, his great work, The City of God. It took him more than a decade to write. And he wrote it um, mostly because the uh, Roman Empire was failing. And Augustine believed that God's words made sense of the world around him. Uh, Augustine had a Christian worldview. And so while many Christians were panicking and retreating, no, he set out to do what the Lord had called him to do. And he wrote this great work. Um, and I think there is something to be said about that, that we can take some sage advice from Augustine, who got his advice from the God's word. Remember in verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. And I think Augustine took that, and he, he took it to heart, and he, and he thought, I'm going to carry on with the work that the Lord has laid before me. I'm going to have confidence in his steadfast love. I'm going to remember that I'm an alien in a foreign land. C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, 
if I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And a little over after Augustine penned these words, Luther penned his, his words to City of God. Luther penned the words to a mighty fortress. And I'm going to read this entire um, hymn to you, so bear with me, and I hope you will be able to kind of take it in. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal, mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? You ask who that may be, Jesus Christ. It is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name from age to age the same. He must win the battle. And, through, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we, in, we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. That word, and it's capitalized word, that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gift are ours, through him with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. So I think the psalmist and our church fathers had great confidence in the Lord and they serve as great examples for us how to conduct ourselves in this crazy world we live in and to have the confidence in God's holy goodness and sovereignty and power and eternality and steadfast love. And it is this confidence in God and his word that gives us the desire to be committed to him. Now, I'm going to have to be honest with you. My first couple of readings of Psalm 119, I kind of thought, is this a joke? I mean, with his whole heart, he seeks him. I don't know if I've ever sought. I don't know. He will keep God's law continually forever and ever. He hastens and doesn't delay to keep the Lord's commandments. Yikes. So I had to think, and I had to think about what was going on here. And the first thing, I had to remember that it is poetry. I'm not really used to reading poetry, and I need to remember that I can't read it the same way that I would a narrative. Sometimes in poetry, there are statements made for emphasis. These are poems and hymns that were sung. Have you ever sung a hymn and thought you were committing heresy by singing it? Um, what about Jesus, I, my cross have taken, all to leave and follow you, perish every fond ambition, go then earthly fame and treasure, come disaster, scorn and pain? Or what about these? Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty gain. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. I love these hymns, but they give me pause. I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief.
And I know that if I were left to myself, if, it, if I were apart from Christ instead of indwelt by Christ, in my own power, I would forsake him. Honestly, sometimes I do forsake him. I think about the Israelites promising Moses that they would do all that the Lord had said. Or about Peter when he said he would go to jail or to death with the Lord only to deny him three times. And I do believe in that moment, that time in history, they were committed to that. I think the Israelites were committed to it. I think Peter believed it. And I think the psalmist is making a declaration of his commitment to God's word, to be obedient to his laws and his statutes. But you see, the the psalmist barely gets his declaration or his commitment to the Lord out, that he's doing what all believers do. He's praying. He's praying for God to teach him and to help him and to strengthen him and to comfort him and to not let him be put to shame and to give him life. The key to such bold claims and commitments are prayer, confessing to a holy God that you desire. Know that you need him. Nothing else will do. And it is not in your power that you can do anything to please him. But you know the one who can. You know the one who really does keep the Father's commandments. You know the one who really is righteous. The one whose heart is never divided. The one with all the power and desire to grant mercy and to save us utterly. It is only with this confession that Christ is the ultimate promise. That he is truly God's word made flesh that we can truly live over and over again. You heard the psalmist, give me life, give me life. This is the life. It is the life in Christ. Now, possibly somewhat anticlimatically, I'm going to add one more C, circumstance. I think I would be somewhat remiss if I didn't bring attention to the circumstances in which the psalmist prayed. He prayed while he was being persecuted, while he was depressed, while he was rejoicing, while he dreaded God's reproach, while he needed confirmation and was doubting, while he was afflicted. In fact, I counted more than 60 different circumstances in which the psalmist prayed. And there's probably more than that. It pretty much runs the gamut. There are so many people hurting now. And I'm aware of some of the circumstances, but most of your circumstances I'm not aware of. And the psalmist did ask for relief from his circumstances. But he also declared that his affliction was good so that he could learn God's statutes. God does not waste our suffering. In verse 68, the psalmist declares that God is good and does good. Our suffering is for his good, for our good and his glory. And I hope that we're all able to walk away from here today and find comfort in that. I thought the psalm ended somewhat um, surprisingly. After all his bold statements, he confesses he has gone astray. And he begs the Lord to seek him. Yes, Lord, seek us. We need you every hour. Every hour, we need you. Okay, once again, I'm going to ask y'all to pray with me a prayer. This is from the Valley of Vision. Of course, like I've said many times before, these prayers do no good unless you actually pray them. So deep down in your heart, I want you to pray out loud with me the words 
of this prayer from Valley of Vision. O God most high, most glorious, the thought of your infinite serenity cheers me, for I am toiling and moiling, troubled and distressed, but you are forever at perfect peace. Your designs cause you no fear or care of unfulfillment. They stand fast as the eternal hills. Your power knows no bond, your goodness no end. You bring order out of confusion, and my defeats are your victories. The Lord God of unending power reigns. I come to you as a sinner with cares and sorrows to leave every concern entirely to you, every sin calling for Christ's precious blood. Revive deep spirituality in my heart. Let me live near to the great shepherd, hear his voice, know its tones, follow its calls. Keep me from being deceived by causing me to abide in the truth, by harm, by helping me to walk in the power of the Spirit. Give me greater faith in the eternal truths, burning into me by experience the things I know. Let me never be ashamed of the truth of the gospel, that I may bear its reproach, vindicate it, see Jesus as its essence, know it in the power of the Spirit. Lord, help me, for I am often lukewarm and chill. Unbelief mars my confidence. Sin makes me forget you. Let the weeds that grow in my soul be cut at their roots. Grant me to know that I truly live only when I live to you, that all else is trifling. Your presence alone can make me holy, devout, strong, and happy. Abide in me, gracious God. Amen.